ride with me in my foul life. And here we are, another episode of Safari Club International's Foul Thoughts, right here at the Foul Life Podcast. We got one of the best in the industry worldwide. I don't even know how to describe what this man does. I've been humbled and lucky enough to sit down with him once before, and I've enjoyed developing a friendship with him. His insight is unparalleled. I love his thoughts. I love his Instagram feed. I love following everything that him and his family have done over the years from his father to his son, to his daughter, to his relationship with his wife. You've heard the story how he met his wife and how he kind of stalked and hunted his wife here on the first time he was on the show. Jim Shockey, how are you, my man? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Chad? Buddy, I've been doing so good. And hearing your accent makes me want to go north of the border so bad. I haven't been there. I had to skip last year. We all know why. And now I'm like, Man, I, I don't. I, I want to go to Saskatchewan. I want to go to Alberta. You know that I love to chase ducks and geese, and where you're from is like the mecca. And we still don't know. Here we are going into June, summer of 2021, and I still don't know if I'm going to be able to to grace Canada this year. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I, I think it's cute that you think you're gracing Canada by coming up. Uh, you know that that's uh, that's awesome. But I. I you know, as far as the border opening, I, 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 a little birdie told me that uh, just yesterday, actually, that uh, the uh, U.S. is going to open up the land border to Canadians. So allow Canadians to cross the border into the U.S. by land. Um, and that's going to happen June 21st, I believe. I think there'll probably be an announcement here pretty quick. Um, the problem is that the border is still closed for Americans to come up into Canada right now. And uh, I think what will happen on that is, you know, the U.S. opening the border going south for Canadians is going to put a lot of pressure on our government, our federal government, to open the border for Americans to come north. I think they'll probably have to open it in tiny little increments with heavy restrictions, meaning both vaccines and um, you have to be able to prove that, plus get a test before you get on the airplane or or in your, you know, cross the border, plus get another test when you arrive on the Canadian side and have to wait for the results for three days. That's what they've been doing up here in Canada for Canadians returning to Canada. Um, and then once the result, that result comes in, um, you know, with, you know, negative, then then they'll probably let you travel around in Canada. So so I, I think there'll be serious restrictions, you know, for the States does this on June 21st. I wouldn't be surprised that by September 21st, Canada will follow suit with those restrictions. But I, I'm guessing. I, 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 you know, I'm guessing, which is kind of the way our country is being run right now. I think they're guessing too. So, who knows? Who knows? I caught on to what you said at the beginning of your answer. What I meant is gracing Canada. What I was trying to say is. Like I, I, I'm not the same person without being able to go there. I didn't want it to sound like, oh, I'm gracing Canada with me coming up there. Even though, even though I feel like when I'm in Canada, it's like the greatest place in the world. And what is it, Jim? You've hunted all over the world. Literally, you have. You've start off this answer by telling me if you can how many hunt- countries you've actually had a weapon in and were hunting game and. 
What is it about your homeland that's so special? Do you consider Canada one of the best? There's the whitetail. There's the moose. There's all the fishing. There's the waterfowl. There's there's so much game in Canada from sheep to mule deer to whitetail deer. You name it, it's up there. The The provinces are so vast with, with opportunity. What is it about Canada that draws so much tourism, because this is what I'm really talking about. If if those borders don't open and these outfitters have to go through this again, I don't know if a lot of them can make it. But what is it about that place that's so special? And do you consider it one of the best with all your travels? Well, I mean, to answer the first part of your question, how many countries I've hunted in uh, over 50 and less than 100, uh, a lot. I don't know how many countries are in the world, probably 270. So, yeah. I've, I've been to most of the countries that I would want to go to, um, to hunt. If they have a, a wildlife management plan that includes hunting, there's a lot of the countries around the world don't. So, so I, I have no desire to go there. Um, I, you know, unless it was for cultural reasons, but, uh, you know, the second part of your question, the best country in the world to hunt. I mean, here in Canada and the United States, we have, yeah, I mean, we are, so fortunate, so blessed to have the wildlife management plan in place, you know, the North American model that's worked. And, and you know, we, we've increased the number of wildlife, uh, you know, that exist here from 1900 to now, you know, the year 1900 is, is, has been significant. And, and, you know, there was less animals back then, which is not the case in most of the world. Um, and that's not just, that's not just Canada I'm talking about. I'm talking about the United States as well. You know, white-tailed deer numbers are up. Uh, arguably, bear numbers are up. Your your duck numbers are up. Geese numbers are up. It, it's you know we we live in a in a fantastic place here in North America, and uh, we're very fortunate. Canada, of course, you know, with whatever number of people we have, no, approaching 40 million people, uh, and most of them living close to the U.S. border. Um, We've got a lot of land mass that, that allows wildlife. It, it, it allows wildlife to have a home. You know, we, we don't have as many people as the states. Uh, you know, certainly not as many people as places like India and Pakistan. So, you know, that that's a big factor in why we have the wildlife up here. We have we have the land. We haven't turned it all into soybean fields and cornfields. We you just can't. It's it's too vast. The boreal forest is is um, you know, not conducive to, to agrarian, you know, development. So, so we, yeah, Canada is a fabulous place because of that. I mean, the Yukon where I outfit uh, in the fall, you know, I mean, my outfitting territory, Rogue River outfitting territory is, is uh, seven and a half million acres, you know, seven and a half million acres. There's not a single road in that entire seven and a half million acres. It's all airplane or boat access. Um, no people living there, no houses, uh, just our cabins and the odd mining show. Um, you know, but, but it's, it's remote wilderness. And that, that I think is what makes Canada such a, um, an appealing place for, for hunters. Uh, you know, you talked about Saskatchewan. I grew up there and the, the deer, the, the geese, the ducks that are there, it's, it's, you know, the upland game, it's, it's a, fantastic place you know is it is canada the best place to hunt i mean the states is fabulous too you know you have species down there that we don't have uh 
desert sheep, you know, to mention one, uh, the Thule elk, you've got the Cirrus moose, which we don't, or Shiras moose, which we don't, we, you know, SCI says we have up here, but uh, not Boone and Crockett. There, there, there's many reasons why you have, you know, great hunting down there as well. But, but that said, you know, to answer the fourth or third point you were making about the outfitters, they're, uh, they're, the outfitters are in trouble up here in Canada and, and our government doesn't care about the, you know, the plight of the outfitters. Um, it, it's going to be a, um, a reckoning that that day is coming for the outfitters because you can roll over the hunts where the deposits of the clients from the States, but our government continues on this, you know, monthly basis. We don't know what's happening next month. It could be open. So we had to be ready since March of 2020 for, for the opening of the spring season, April 1st, you know, so every outfitter has been paying to keep the doors open, the engine running, you know, keep gas and to keep, you know, oil in the, and, and, you know, electricity on you, you have to, because you have to be ready. We don't know as an outfitter, whether we're going to be taking clients, you know, in, in 10 days. So, you know, it's a, it, it's been a mess because the costs, you know, every outfitter has been paying, but there's been zero revenues. So what have they been using? Outfitters have been using the deposits from the clients for 2020 that they couldn't take because that's, you know, I, I tell everybody, look, when a season ends, when 2019 ended, you know, there's not an outfitter in the world that spends money on the 2019 clients. They're done. You know, they're done. They're finished. It's somebody they used to know. And and so the instant the 2019 season ended, they the outfitters started spending money for the 2020 clients that were going to come or supposed to come. And so they had all those expenses then the border got shut uh, and, and now it's been shut for another year. So another season. So those outfitters have had to pay the costs all the way along, you know, and now 2020 is over. They're paying for 2021 clients, you know, even though they couldn't take it. And the fact is the outfitters could take the clients, the clients couldn't get to the outfitters, you know, because the border was closed and, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a force de majeure, I think they call it, and also a frustrated contract in case law, you know, which I'm hoping that, you know, clients will understand that, that um, the outfitters have had expenses and deposits are going to be, you know, returning deposits isn't probably going to be an option for, for the vast majority of outfitters. Some might, uh, some will try and roll over again, but, you know, they've been, they've, the costs they've incurred will mean that, you know, I, I'm afraid a lot of outfitters might be um, wanting to take their clients and maybe saying they're going to take their clients, but they're not going to be able to financially do that. In which case, you know, we're going to have bankruptcy. So, so the, the you know, to answer that question, it's, it's a, a problem that our government doesn't seem to want to address on the, on the one hand, on the other hand, they're using the COVID uh, problem as, as the reason they're not addressing it. So it, it's a rock and a hard place and uh, we're all going to be paying the piper for the next, I'm afraid, at least five years in, in our industry. So the one part that you said in there I wanted to touch on again was April 1st, 
all these bear baits are set. All this fuel is being spent in UTVs, ATVs, trucks, getting all of these baits set, getting the camp set up, getting them stocked with food. Because you said, you made mention, Jim Shockey, that there was no known. There was It was all unknown, like month to month. Well, we got to be ready in case the Americans come because we rolled their deposit over. So now what's going on? Are those baits being utilized? And my second part of the question, I'll keep it short this time. I apologize for the long-winded questions, Jim. Is there a lot of local business for outfitters in Canada? Meaning, do the locals book hunts? I know Americans do. I, I would say that a lot of Canadians don't book waterfowl hunts, but are they booking the bear hunts and the deer hunts to keep these outfitters alive somewhat? Uh, you know, it depends on on the outfitter. The, the you know, the short answer to your question is no. There's not the demand that there is from American clients, and the, and the main reason is. Just pure population base. You know, Canada's one-tenth the population of the United States. So you would expect, just extrapolating, that, that you're going to get one-tenth of the demand from the Canadian clients. Um, the, the problem with that sort of general formula is that Canadian, the Canadian dollar is not, uh, you know, on par with the American dollar. So Canadians that are earning a wage in Canadian dollars can't afford the same type of hunt, you know, even though they're doing the same type of job and getting paid the same, same amount of money as, as their American counterpart. But because of the, um, you know, it was 40% exchange rate at one time, meaning the Canadian dollar was worth 40% less than the American dollar. Um, the Canadians can't afford those hunts. Um, but, you know, so you, you've not only decreased the demand by, by population, sheer population, to one-tenth of what it could have been in the States. You've also added in the, the financial burden of having to pay in American dollars, which means converting Canadian dollars. So it, it was costing Canadians a 40% surcharge, essentially, to hunt with an outfitter in Canada. Now, you know, to keep the doors open, what some Canadian outfitters have done is uh, offered hunts at discounted rates to Canadians, so, you know, to try and keep the um, the cash flow going, so that they don't have to shut down. And that's that's a it's a valid way of dealing with it. It makes the hunts more accessible to to Canadians. But even doing that, again, the demand is only ten percent of what the American demand could be. Um, so if ten percent of the outfitters do that. You know, ten percent of the outfitters may be able to keep their doors open. Bearing in mind that uh, they haven't marketed to Canadians, so you've got all those costs as well, extra costs. Uh, so I, I would say that you know, guessing at it, marketing to Canadian hunters has helped. Uh, you know, in the region of ten percent of the of the uh, outfitters up in Canada, um, and and all that's helped them do is keep the doors open because. Here, here's the economic reality of it. Our prices are based on our costs. You know, our costs have not gone down. So when we sell a hunt, a moose hunt, say for $20,000 US, um, that hunt price is designed to make us as an outfitter a profit of 10%, $2,000, right? If we suddenly sell that hunt for in Canadian dollars for $20,000, we're going to get somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, $12,000. So it means you're actually losing 
you know, when you take away your profit, because you're not even trying to make a profit, uh, you're, you're losing $6,000 per hunt. And, and that's why there's a lot of us outfitters, I, you know, I can't lower the prices to keep the doors open because that just exacerbates the problem. It accelerates the, the downward, you know, decline of our, of our financial situation, which means that, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to hold out for two, three years, whatever this is going to take. I, I'd actually be speeding up the process on top of all that. There's a responsibility to your clients that are already booked, you know. So if I could sell my hunts at forty percent less than what you know I was selling them to the American client, why didn't I sell them at forty percent less to the American clients? I can't do it because my prices are are based on the costs. You know, the costs are the costs. That that's fixed now, <laughs> or it was fixed now with our latest little round of inflation uh, that we're well, it's not latest. We're headed into it you know, those costs are going to be up significantly as well. A sheet of plywood to fix a cabin that a, a grizzly bear wrecked up in my Yukon territory, you know, where it may have cost me somewhere in the neighborhood of $200 landed at camp, you know, per sheet is now going to be somewhere around $600, you know, so, so my costs are going up as well. So, so that's why back to answer your question that there's a lot of outfitters just can't do it. You know, can't, we, we can, cater to the Canadians if they'll pay the same price as the Americans. But if they won't, you know, and they want a discount, then uh, I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't see, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, you know, it's just, you're, you're, it's not sustainable. It, it, as much as I'd love to be able to cater to the Canadians at a cheaper price, I can't do it at the same price. Yes. You know, and then, then there's the, the added, factor that the Americans that are waiting that had their deposits in hunts paid for in a lot of cases, but couldn't get to Canada to do their hunt last year in 2020, you know, is it right for me to, to bring somebody in to kill those animals? You know, that was there. They kind of paid for the hunt for the opportunity and, and they couldn't come. So maybe I should just let, you know, don't, don't take, let the animals have a year off. looks like two years now. It is two years for two spring seasons. So there's a bunch of different questions that come into play on whether Canada, you know, or Canadian outfitters can can uh, cater to Canadian clients. Yes and no. You know, there's my, there's your answer. You 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 hit on my next question right there towards the end, Jim. Scientifically, and I I don't even know like if this question should even be on the radar. And you might tell me, well, that's just so far fetched. It's it's not even worth talking about, Chad. When you talk about hunting and conservation, some of the studies um, that I've learned is the health of the herd, the the health of the the game. Um, if we did not manage wildlife through hunting means, there's there's things like disease and other factors that will set in and take out. A certain, and that's why organizations like the one on your chest, Safari Club International, and other conservation efforts are so important. How long can, let's say, the black bear population of your home province of Saskatchewan withstand, you know, because Americans come up there a lot and they're bow hunting and archery hunting and muzzleloading hunting and rifle hunting black bears in the spring and the fall. Is that a thought, Jim Shockey, that the animals could pay the price for not having the right amount of pressure on the herd or, you know, the, the overall population? 
I, you know, I, 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 yes, in the long run, there's no question in the long run. The, the problem is you, you'd never, that's not a hill that I would die on uh, be, because anyone, anyone, any scientist or anybody that's anti hunting would, would uh, take you to task pretty quickly on that argument and, and say, where's your proof? You know, and how do you get proof while well, you shut down hunting for 10 years and let's find out, you know, that's the only way because computer models can only tell you so much. Um, common sense would, would, would have you certainly um, agree that there's, there's going to be a problem with overpopulation in a lot of these areas, depending on the, the, the percentage that was, you know, was allowed to be t- harvested every year of, of a given species. You know, generally what we do is an 8%, uh, um, I guess it would be repatriation of the a recruitment of the population is what you're looking for, 8% every year. Of that 8%, you're expecting a you know, 2% mortality for hunting. That's, that's generally what they would use. Um, you would expect a, you know, 2%, who knows, for bears infanticide, you know, a big bear killing and eating the little bear. You'd expect a 2% um, just mortality from other older bears dying, you know, probably killed by wolves or whatever else was, was killing them. They certainly didn't die in their sleep. And then you'd expect, or you'd hope for a 2% increase in the population. So hunting plays a part of that, but it's, it's not a part that's going to affect a population um, if you take out the hunting component in the, in the short term. Uh, long term, yeah, that could be, but but they they factor in all these. Like I say, you you just wouldn't want to. That's not a hill I'd want to die on. I wouldn't I wouldn't take that argument to the bank. What what are the? There's a lot of countries that visit Canada. I, I I'll get off of Canada here in a second, but is America by far the largest because of the population down here and our, our ease of access to go north of the border, whether it's flying or driving across the border, are we by far the largest country visiting Canada for wildlife and outdoor means and, and tourism? Yeah, that and vice versa. You know, we're by far your greatest tourism asset as well. So, so yeah, there's no question. We, we've got what a 3000, mile undefended border between our two countries. I mean, we're, we're kindred spirits, regardless of whether there's, you know, a little bit of competition between us when it comes to the Canada U S hockey series. But, uh, you know, we, we are, we are one and the same in spite of what a lot of people would want us to believe, uh, in inside both countries. And, and generally that's, that's just, uh, sour grapes you know, jealousy rearing its ugly head or whatever, but, uh, or the politics of envy, but, but yes, the United States is by far Canada's greatest trading partner always has been. What were your personal feelings? And we don't have to dive too deep into it if you don't want to Jim, but over the last six months, I know what last time we spoke, you're, you're, you were a big proponent of the administration down here. You're friends with Donald Jr. Um, you're, you were, you spoke out about your feelings about and your, your loyalty to that administration. Have you seen vast changes? Are you worried with your brothers across the border to the south about what's going on down here? And ha- 
is it kind of like I told you so model so far in your opinion? Or what are you seeing personally? Because you're very well read. I'm just wondering what you're seeing. Well, I mean, first of all, you know, I could, it's not quite true. I couldn't be a proponent of the previous administration down the States because I'm Canadian and I have no right to, to voice any opinion about uh, any of your administrations, you know, good, bad, ugly, you know, left, right. You know, I, I'm Canadian. Now, my, both my grandfathers were American. The first shockey that ever came to North America and the only shockey landed in Philadelphia in 1737. You know, he was American and all my antecedents were American really up until, including my two grandfathers. Um, you know, my sister is American. My uh, nieces and nephews are American, all of them. Um, on that, you know, the shocky side of the family, the, um, you know, my my grandchildren are American. You know, my my daughter and son-in-law have green cards. My daughter-in-law is American. You know, you know, so, so I, but still, I'm very respectful of the fact that, I'm a Canadian, so I can't say, I, I, you know, I can't be a proponent of any party down there. But what I what I did post often was that uh, Donald Trump Jr. is a friend of mine, and and um, you know, if you're, you know, just restructured your question slightly, um, you know, what what do I think about what's going on? I, you know, I, I think that common sense has been lacking. And, and I think that from an objective viewpoint, I think that your last president got handed a very raw deal by the popular press. And I'm not sure who's, who's pulling those strings, um, but as an objective obser observer looking from up here and, you know, traveling around the world, I, I, I don't think that, um, that your previous president was given a fair shake. I mean, I, some of the things he was saying, if you just looked at what he was saying, yeah, it was his own style of saying it. And you could be, maybe have a personal issue, you know, with, you know, personal personality conflict with him. But um, I, I just, I didn't think that it was, it was fair looking from the outside, you know, now I'm not going to, I'm not going to, get on a soapbox and say, this is right. That's wrong. This is right. This is wrong. Cause it's not, it's American politics. I'm Canadian. You want to talk to me about Can Canadian politics. I can certainly voice an opinion about that, but um, I will say that I, I didn't think that what I saw go down over the last four years of your previous president's um, time in office, uh, I was um, personally appalled at, at the lack of fair reporting on it. You know, both sides of of a report. Um, I just, I didn't see it. I didn't, I didn't see it. And I, you know, people say, well, you watch Fox news and you should be watching CNN or, you know, CNBC or the public broadcasting, all that. I, I watch all of them. And, and, uh, I, I just thought the negativity, nobody is wrong a hundred percent of the time. And, and some of the policies that were put in place, I, I, kind of agreed with and, and it seems like back to your question again you know what do i think about what the what's going on right now it would seem if people were truly honest about it you know the ones that were 
so negative when when uh, your previous president was in office and things they said you know they're they're right now saying the exact opposite which means that they're agreeing with what he was saying so what when were they lying were they lying back then and and they were just doing it to to vilify somebody marginalize you know a president uh, that's what it looks like to me just looking from the outside so i you know i i think we what what we have in this world right now is a problem with uh with who controls the messaging you know the the popular press social media who's in charge of the messaging and and uh i think we all of us no matter where we are around this world should be extremely concerned about that it's very well said jim very well said and and i agree um you can speak on your leadership and your leadership has had the in in their in their in the tenure up there right now there's been a lot of things happen with firearms and guns and gun ownership and some calibers being outlawed and talks of lots of other stuff does this affect the border opening when it does assuming that it does can a non-hunting a non-firearm bearing american get into canada easier when it does open are they going to try to prohibit the guns from going into canada even though it is going to affect the revenue of the of the outfitter and the tourism is that a fear is that a scare right now because of your leadership's policies and thoughts on firearms is that in the cards you think yeah i i think anytime you you start down a slippery slope the the you know the start of that ride down that slope is is a is a slow buildup of momentum and speed and and uh the the laws that they're putting in place that they're enacting these various bills to restrict ownership of of uh legally purchased firearms i mean they, they, you know i've got firearms that i own that i purchased legally my my classic double english rifle you know it, it's 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 a beautiful engraved gun with a walnut stock it's a classic it's been used in Africa for a hundred years. That that style of firearm, break action, you know, put a cartridge in, put a cartridge in, close it up, pull the trigger, pull the trigger, open it up, pull the cartridges out, put two more in. That gun is now on the list to be prohibited, which means it's classified the same as a uh, as a fully automatic machine gun. You know, I don't know, newsy. I'm not up on my machine guns, but you know, the ones that go da, 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 like it's classified the same as that. And and the our our prime minister and our minister of uh, safety, Bill Blair, um, they've gone on the record as saying that this bill to prohibit these new firearms that are on this new list is to is because these firearms are designed, and this is a quote unquote, the they're being prohibited because quote. These are guns that were designed to kill the maximum amount of people in the minimum amount of time. Un, end of quote. That's our prime minister and our minister of, uh, of public safety. Uh, you know, it's a it's a break action double rifle that's been a classic in Africa for a hundred years. They're they are absolutely not telling the truth to the public that doesn't know any better. You know, they're, they're thinking that, good, they're banning whatever they're banning to protect us. How in the world is my 
my break action double protecting anybody. You know, it, it, it's again, common sense is lacking these days, but part of the reason people that think they have common sense are, are getting handed this a lie. And the popular press is, is uh, promulgating this, this whole, or promulgating this whole, you know, lie, this, you know, fallacy, this untruth. And, and uh, you know, I've got a bolt action rifle, a bolt action rifle, the bolt action, you know, it, it, you know, 505 Gibbs, 460 Weatherby. The, these are prohibitive weapons now, meaning, you know, it's a federal offense. If I own one, I bought them legally. Now, the government is trying to say that they will they will buy back these guns, you know, but I don't want to sell it. You know, it's mine. I bought it. It's mine. And are they going, even if they did do that, what are they going to pay me? You know, do you think they're going to pay me what I think it's worth, you know, to buy my double classic English rifle, you know, no. And the cartridges for it. I mean, you know, they're probably a hundred dollars each. You think they're going to pay that? And there's not a chance and, and nor should that ever come to that. That shouldn't even be the question. So, you know, to answer your question, you know, more directly, is it going to affect Americans coming up? Well, yes. If they're, if they're going to bring those, those type of firearms. Yeah, for sure. So if someone wants to come up with a 460 Weatherby to hunt, you know, grizzly bears and the Yukon, they're not going to be able to get that across the board. It'll be like trying to bring across, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, a, a rocket launcher. It's they're classified as the same, a grenade launcher, same thing. So, so yeah, it'll affect a segment, not everybody, because not everybody hunts with those type of firearms, but are that caliber of firearms. But I think, like I said earlier, when you start down a slippery slope, what's next? You know, and then what's next? And then 12, what's next? Then it's 12 gauges. And then it's the, I mean, if they get a little bit of momentum, you're saying that slippery slope turns into a snowball effect. And now they try to, they have the confidence to go after all of it. So then me going up there with a 20 gauge to shoot some grouse and some mallard ducks, that could become an issue. Yeah. And that, that's, that's the fear is that, you know, if they were telling the truth, you know, you know, then, then it, you, you could like if there truly was something, you know, some substance to what they're doing, you know, where it makes common sense. You know, if, if for instance, people were getting killed left and right up in Canada, you know, by, I don't know, whatever machine guns, then, then fine. But I don't think anybody's, as far as I know, you know, with a legally owned firearm, I don't even know anybody that's been killed in a mass you know, a mass uh, shooting, which I think, you know, is two to four people or something, whatever the definition is, it, you know, it, not by a legally owned firearm, but what they're doing is they're going after legally owned firearms and legally legal licensed firearms owners, which are the most vetted section of our community, short of uh, police officers and probably, you know, our, our CSIS members or spies, you know, for Canada, same as your FBI, whatever, CIA. So, so I, you know, again, if they were telling the truth, you could believe them. But because they're not telling the truth on this, you can kind of expect that the truth won't be told on whatever the next round of prohibition. And and that's that's the worry. It's a slippery slope, like you say. If they uh, if no if there isn't an, a, a big enough public outcry, which let's face it, the vast majority of Canadians live in urban centers, they're probably not going to go out there and say, yeah, you know, 
we should protect Jim Shockey's right to own his 460 Weatherby or his classic English double. They're not going to stand up there and say that was wrong to take that and, you know, government change. They're just going to see these continual, you know, the, the untruths as, as being the truth. You know, they're not going to see it for what it is, that it's a, a pandering instead of dealing with gangland, you know, illegal firearms, this kind of thing, you know, the social issues in the inner cities here in Canada, you know, they're not going to deal with that. They're going to go after me because it's easy. I'm here. I'm not going to run away. You know, I'm, I'm here. It's a lot easier to deal with me than it is to deal with the actual criminals with illegal firearms and, you know, then tell the people that, see, we, we protected you by stopping Jim Shockey from having that gun. I mean, it's, it's absurd. It's not, uh, like I say, I, the messaging has been, has been hijacked and, and, uh, no one's responsible for the truth anymore. They, they don't feel an obligation to tell the truth. Why should they? No one's taken them to task on it because for whatever reason, probably because bad press sells for $2 and good press sells for $1. You know, the, the, our, uh, our news agencies don't want to tell the truth either. They they would way, they sell way more newspapers and whatever they're selling nowadays online by telling people, you know, the world's ending, the sky's falling in, you know, the environment's never going to mend. They're, they're making more money telling people that than telling, well, actually, you know, this isn't truly about saving, you know, the Canadian public, uh, making it safer. It's about, it's about, you know, eyewash. And Schultz and Eason would have said that it's, you know, they'll give you eyewash instead of the truth. And that, uh, that's what they're doing to pandering. It's, I think, uh, I mean, it, it's, again, it's, uh, something we should all be concerned about when the messaging has been hijacked like it has. When you say <clears throat> that the truth is not being told, it's being hijacked, not just with guns, but there's a lot of emotional voting going on in other areas of a lot of the, the wildlife and game laws that are coming in. And I'm speaking mainly of, you know, down here in the States, you've been the face of Safari club international for as long as I known what SCI is. You've done a very good job in your opinion, Jim Shockey. Has there ever been a more important time for all hunters alike to get involved? Because correct me if I'm wrong and please educate our audience on this, Jim, it's SCI that has the ability to go in and and fight this with, you know, whether it's the means of a lawsuit or court or lobbying or whatever it is. Educate the audience a little bit, please, Mr. Jim, on why is it important to support SCI when um, when it comes to exactly what you're talking about right now of gun laws in Canada, hunters crossing the border, game laws down in the States. Has there ever been a more important time or is it a better question to say, is it just very important that we all get involved right now with Safari Club International and other conservation and advocacy efforts? Yeah, the short answer is uh, absolutely everybody that, that loves the outdoors, and that's hunters, fishermen, you know, outdoors people or fisher ladies, whatever, they, whatever the word is for it. It, it you know, there's all, it's always important. It doesn't matter. I mean, 19... 92 or three, we were fighting here in British Columbia. We had a, a minister of uh, environment that was trying to ban quote unquote trophy hunting and trophy hunting was anything that, um, that uh, 
you know, where you didn't take the meat of the animal, like wolves, cougars, bears at the time, uh, you know, and, and we just, you know, we had to fight that back then. I mean, I, you know, again, uh, you know, I received poison razor blades on the edge of letters, cards, you know, saying die scum, you're, you know, and this is, this is reported, you know, it's recorded, reported, and, and it's real. You know, people were trying to kill me because of what I was voicing in those days. I mean, that's 30 years ago. And, I, you know, we're, we're still in the same battle. It's just, it's just bizarre to me that, that we have to constantly fight. But, but the reality is we have to. We ha every single one of us is responsible for, you know, our pastime that we love. You know, for the wildlife out there, it can't speak for itself. So, so you know, the anti-hunters aren't about more wild animals. They don't want more wild animals. They want hunting to stop. You know, there's a big difference. You know, on the surface, it sounds like they want what's best for the wildlife. But no, in fact, they just want hunting to stop. For whatever reason, you know, they, they have a, a hate of, of, of those of us who just don't live hypocritically. We, you know, I want to know where my meat comes from. I, I want to know you know, that this animal had a wild and free life and then, you know, boom, it was over and, and now he's sustaining my family as opposed to, and I'm not slagging the cattle industry or, or the chicken industry or the pork or, you know, goat industry, whatever, sheep, I don't, I'm, you know, the mutton guys, I, I'm just saying that for us, this is what I want and, and I, you know, I want to know what goes in my pie hole and, you know, they, they for whatever reason, that, that somehow you know, irks, even though they'll eat a, a great big juicy steak, you know, and, and somehow believe that that animal wanted to die, it volunteered to die, you know, so, so we just don't want to live with hypocrisy, but they're, you know, they're, they're fighting against us and our lifestyle, I think is more honestly about that, of who we are, they're, that's what they're against. And, and, um, we have we all have a responsibility to to support the organizations and there's many more SCI is is probably our our strongest voice um, both nationally and internationally you know they, they've got people in place in canada lobbyists in place um in the states obviously and and they work around the world they, they have the i think the greatest you know overview of what's going on in the hunting world so so every hunter and i've said it on our television shows for 17 years that if you're a hunter, you really should be a member of SCI. And, and you know, some of them will say, well, you know, Safari Club International, I don't do safaris. It's not about that. If you want to protect your right to hunt on your back 40, you know, for your children and for your grandchildren and their grandchildren, then you really should be supporting SCI because they're the strongest voice for all of us. And, and you know, what are we going to do individually? You know, you and I can, well, we have a bigger voice, of course, but uh, so maybe we're not the best example. You know, we can use our voice to influence people to do the right thing if you're a, if you're a hunter, outdoorsman, fisher person. But a lot of people that are out there don't have the same kind of reach that you and I do. So what can they do? Well, the only thing they can really do is co-op their efforts and support organization like SCI. I mean, the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, you know, to a degree, Ducks Unlimited, to the Turkey Federation, you know, Mule Deer Society. I mean, I'm, I'm missing how many, you know, I'm sure you can add to that list, but we should support all of them. But SCI, if you're going to support one organization, SCI is the one that uh, 
I think has the most power in ensuring the future for our grandchildren and great grandchildren to to enjoy this lifestyle that that we that we love, you know, that that uh, that that allows us to touch our ancestral soul. You know, there's people out there that want to take that away from us. So we should all, we, we all have to um, join in this fight, even if it's with just dollar support, because you know, not everybody has the time to, to uh, be on the front lines, but uh, you, everything takes money these days. So the, the greater finance the SCI organization is, the better they're going to be able to ensure the future of hunting for our grandchildren. I love that. Jim, in the last year, 15 months, I feel that we've learned what it could mean to take something for granted, our hunting rights. And you're speaking about Safari Club International and how they protect and fight for those rights. Emotionally, I know you're a strong-willed person. I know that you're you're you you have a psyche on you that's uh, you're a go. You've been everywhere. You go after it. If you want it, you go get it. You've done that with your family. You've raised a beautiful family. You have had an amazing hunting career. You had you have relationships with people all over the world, emotionally and personally. How has this affected you? Have you gotten down about it? Not being able to live your regular life that you've become accustomed to of visiting friends around the world and seeing mother nature at her finest and seeing the wildlife. Has it taken its toll on you at all personally, Jim? I know that you're a vibrant and a very optimistic person. You are, you have leadership qualities, but has it messed with you at all? I I think what it's done is accelerated my um, my understanding of of uh, of mortality you know I, I was going 306 days a year on the road uh, you know and 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 loving it I mean I, you know my uh, my soulmate Louise you know supported me on my efforts and you know the explorations around the world that I did but it, but but you know I honestly in 2019 October was, was my last scheduled expedition, you know, so pre COVID I'd already, you know, started not an exit strategy, but, but um, you know, the writing was on the wall. I'm, I'm 63 years old right now. You know, uh, how long, how long do I have ahead of me? You know, so, so, you know, on a personal basis, you know, I, <clears throat> on a personal basis, I've had a long run. And, and it's, you have, you have to face reality that, you know, what age, what age are you not that mountain man climbing the mountains fearless with, well, fearless, hopefully I'll never, ever, you know, feel that I've never have in my life. And I have no intention of starting now, no matter what age, but you, you know, I've had to, again, my, put my plans aside, you know, I guess put them on hold what I did have planned from 1919 or 2019 on um, while this pandemic, you know, whatever you want to call it is, is raging. Um, and, and it's, it means it's taken away time that I had planned to use for, for good, you know, for, for benevolent reasons and, and, uh, and you're just not able to do it. So, you know, it, it's accelerated that process of me, moving towards whatever the end game is for me. I mean, uh, you know, 
75 years old. When I'm, when I'm that age, you're still going to want to be talking to me. You know, you younger guys are going to be in charge. You're, you're going to, it'll be you guys fighting the battles. And apparently it's just history just continues to repeat itself. It's the same battles we have to fight constantly over and over and over again. So you need a new, younger, fresher, tougher, more vibrant um, crew to, to take over the, you know, the hammers and the shovels. I mean, that's, that's, um, that's you guys. So, so, you know, asking me, has, has it affected me? It, it's just made it clear that um, I, I can't continue to do what I've done forever. It's not going to happen. Nobody ever has figured that one out yet. And I'm probably not going to be the first one to, to escape the inevitable. And, and uh, so if, if that's the case, then I would like to use this, you know, I, I've had to face the fact that I'm going to have to use this time to, you know, be an ambassador as much as I can be a voice, you know, what are they going to do? Send me home because I say something, you know, wrong that doesn't, you know, flies in the face of uh, popular belief isn't politically correct. You know, go ahead, send me home. I, I you know, you, you can't, you, you can kill me, I guess, take my life away, but uh, you certainly aren't going to take my, my, honor away you know my beliefs you know the truth is the truth and you you can't nobody can change that so so i'm not uh, you know i it hasn't made me depressed but it's made me realize that um you know time is just going to continue on and and none of us are a cosmic event this this uh you know i've like i said i've had my time in the limelight so personally you know, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm comfortable with it. It's, it's, and I'm at ease with it. And I'm, and I'm really, it makes me really happy to see you know, the younger generation, you, you guys, you, and, and that whole generation is, is stepping up to the plate to, 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 you know, take over for us. Um, you know, the, this older group, I guess we're the boomers. I don't know what we are, but, uh, but, you know that, that and that that so that is and I think it's because of this acceleration. It's people have had to step up sooner than maybe what they were prepared to do, and 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 a, and a lot of us have been sort of uh, di, you know not not disarmed, but you know we we've been neutralized for this last year and a half, and and uh, so it, it just you know it's just it's just time, and you can't you can you can worry about it and and. Uh, and cry about it, but that's not going to do any good. It, and, and I'm, like I say, I'm comfortable knowing that there's people like yourself uh, taking over and moving on and grabbing on and, and protecting and, and carrying the flag, you know, all these, all these great honorable things are being done by very capable, younger crew now. So, so yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I've, I've come to terms with it. I've, I've got other, things I'd like to get done that have been put on hold. I, I mean, I wrote a novel that I, I think is very important that it gets out there because it, it'll give me a, a much, much broader reach and a, and a, and a much, much stronger voice outside of our hunting industry, um, our, our outdoor world, if I can get it published. And, and so that's what I've been on hold for the last year, just hoping, you know, that somebody out there has the guts to, to print this novel, uh, 
and publish it. If they do, I like I say, then I, I will be able to, you know, God willing, be a voice into into my seventies. Um, so yeah, and that that's been frustrating for me sitting around. You know, that's negative. But the positive is my golf game is is uh, done wonders for my golf game. You know, as you as you decline physically. You know, my, my uh, skills are getting better. So it's kind of managed, you know, homeostasis on my golf game, which is kind of nice at, at my age. So, you know, I, I've just had to refocus, you know, super senior, 65 years in uh, an older league. That's that's my goal. So, so yeah, there's good things too. More time with the grandkids. But um, yeah, I can't, I, I would be dishonest if I didn't say it's been a frustrating last 18 months. Well, I hope that we get to, I mean, you have a golf tournament named after you now. You got to be somewhat of a good golfer now. I mean, you got to you got to live up to that when you get down to the Carolinas and to the Jim Shockey Classic with the Freedom Hunter and Anthony Pace. That organization's great. I have three fun questions because I know your time's valuable, Mister Jim Shockey. Sure. You're talking about coming to the end, which I if I ever got to your level and SCI said you have the ability to do what Jim just said, Chad has the ability. And it really means a lot for me to hear you say that. I would hope I could talk you out of retirement just to come back as like a liaison or like a bench coach and, 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 and just tell stories. You're so like the way you talk and, and the experiences that you've had in your life are amazing to somebody like me and so many hundreds of thousands of people around the world that followed, have followed your TV shows your family, your social media, the everything you've documented. What a freaking career. If it was the end, Mr. Jim Shockey, and they said you got one more, you have one left, go anywhere you want, what, what would it be after everything you've experienced? Would it be one you've already done? I'm talking about a hunt here, obviously. Is it already been done by Jim Shockey? Is there a trophy out there that you thought you should have had but you didn't? Or is it something brand new that you have not accomplished yet? No, it, it has nothing to do for me with trophy. I, I that's, I mean that means nothing to me. It, it what it would be is one last hunt with family and friends. I mean that's what hunting's about: the camaraderie, the 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 love, the humor, you know, and the shared adventures, the stories. So so you know, I I, I would one last hunt would be with Eva and our son Bramlin to have. You know their extended families with them as well, their husbands or wives. Um, you know Nana Weezy, my wife, my soulmate, uh, to have her there, and and to spend that hunt reminiscing about those that have gone before already. You know my father Hal, my father-in-law Len. You know my uncles. You know my mom passed away here in October, and and uh, there's no way that I would squander that last hunt on a personal i want to get a bigger animal and that's just uh, that doesn't even compute for me it would be it would be a a last hunt for whatever wherever you know it could be in our backyard at that point if it was truly the last hunt, i i may not be able to travel very far so maybe it would be in the backyard for a black-tailed deer you know which actually isn't legal in our own backyard but uh but uh, I wouldn't care what the animal is and I wouldn't care where it was. was. What I care about is the people that would be with me on that last hunt. That, that's family and friends. Okay, well, that's awesome. 
is there a favorite gun that you would have to use? Could you could you choose one out of your collection that I, I would assume is amazing? We've talked about a couple of them today. Would that come to mind? Like I, I would have to do it with this piece right here. <laughs> I you know uh, guns guns to me don't have a um, I don't I don't have an, a, per, a personal uh, like I don't name my gun you know, whatever Sue or whatever you call a gun. I, I don't, um, to me, they're tools of our trade. So, so I don't have, have a love for a given firearm for sure. A given bow, uh, honestly, I, I wouldn't care what I had on that hunt. Uh, I would just, I would just, in fact, I, I, <laughs> it would mean way more to me to watch, you know, my, my grandchildren doing the hunt and and I could be an observer. Heck, maybe I you know just a camera in my hands at that point. I, I've 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 uh, done a lot of hunting, so so there wouldn't there wouldn't be. I, I don't think on my last hunt I would have any desire to actually kill something. I, I would have a great desire to be there to share the experience of the hunt with with my family and friends. So, so I guess the short answer to your question is no, I, I wouldn't have a, a particular firearm or muzzleloader or, uh, or bow or crossbow or, I mean, whatever else I've, I've, I've used over the years. And last two is, what if a, a huge fan that has grown up watching you and looks up to you and is humbled, I don't know if that's the right word to use, but just is blessed and appreciate so much that you would come on to his podcast. What if he asked you to join him for a duck or a goose hunt down in the States with some 12 gauges, 20 gauges, two days, three days in and out Would that like raise an eyebrow. Is that even an option? And should that I'm asking for a friend, should he <laughs> have the guts to even ask you on a hunt? Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I get asked to go on a lot of hunts, obviously, and and I I feel bad because if I could say yes to everything, every good thing out there, I would do it. Uh, but but you know, hearkening back to what we talked about earlier, I only have so much time left, and and uh, and the time that I have for hunts, I you know I, I've turned down eighty thousand dollars to to guide a guy, you know plus the hunt fee and, and, you know, $80,000 is a lot of money for an eight day hunt. It's $10,000 a day, but, but to do that, I would have got that money, but, but then I would have missed, I wouldn't have been able to hunt with, with, uh, Tim and Eva, you know, to do that. And, and I, so a lot of people look at you, oh, yeah, you're rich or whatever. No, I, I grew up in a trailer park. We had no money. And, and I, you can see around me, I've been walking, I don't know if this is, your podcast is only uh, audio or not. No, that, but that's going to be my last question because it's, it's mind blowing. Sure. The, the, you know, to me, money is, is just a, a means to an end. And the truly rich man is the man with time. So if you sell your time, you know, what's it worth? Well, I mean, you, you have to pay rent, you have to mortgages, whatever, put, you know, clothes on your kids backs and, and feed them. And, uh, but, you know, as my time, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, if you drew a graph, you know, there's a lot of my life is gone already 
and there's not a lot left. So I, I just am very realistic about it. And, and uh, much as I love that friend of yours, I'm sure we'd get along great. That's asking the, um, you know, the three days, the day travel, the three days there and the three, you know, it would be a, a wonderful, fun experience for me personally. But what if I use that three days instead to uh, go to the Jim Kelly golf tournament and, and, you know, speak on behalf of all hunters, you know, I have to be very careful with my use of time and, and my personal desires. I have to put aside at this point in my life and, and do what's right and what's best to protect and, and preserve and honor this, this lifestyle that has allowed me to live a life that, um, you know, the only life I could have imagined living. So, so I'm going to spend my time, those extra days that I have, it's going to be for um, uh, the best causes I possibly can. And also to be, I, I guess, um, true to my family. So if I have three days, uh, honestly, as much as, as I said, we get along with that friend of yours, I would rather spend it with my family those three days and, and, uh, my grandchildren are, you know, uh, I, I only have so many days left. So I, I'm not, not going to use them for things that I might want to do personally. So, and, and I want to do the other ones with my family anyway. So, you know, probably I'd, I'd have to decline as graciously as I could and, and uh, feel terrible about, about uh, doing it. But, uh, but yeah, that would be the answer. Now I got to let him know. I'll let him know. I'll let him down easy today on a call. Jim, <clears throat> the place where you're standing is blowing my mind during this podcast. Where is it? What is it? I'm asking for a friend again. I could name it and all that. I've been following it. But the amount of dedication and passion and work and elbow grease and sweat equity that has gone into this place you're walking around during this podcast is mind-blowing. I've said that just a few minutes ago. What's going on with that place? Well, <laughs> I, you know, I'm I'm in my happy place here. This is our, it's our, it's our hand of man museum of natural history, cultural arts and conservation. Uh, it's a museum that there's not one single dollar of public funding in here, government money. It's all, this is the result of my travels and my efforts. And, you know, and, and of course, with the support of my wife and, and many, many, many good people along the way, um, this is it's it's what I think every every hunter that has the the means should be doing in every community across Canada and the United States is showing this museum is about showing what hunting actually is all about. You know, we're naturalists. We always have been naturalists. So you know, it's it's fossils, it's mounted animals for sure, minerals, skeletons, and the cultural artifacts from around the world. There's even in a room right somewhere i don't know if you can see in there but uh there's a room with vintage guitars because you know how many times you've been in a camp and somebody pulls out a guitar and starts singing i mean it hunting isn't about killing animals it never has been it, that's a tiny tiny little sliver of of a, a big three-dimensional ball that that is what hunting is this well-rounded lifestyle field to table living health exercise uh the wonders of the outdoors, respect for the wildlife and responsibility of stewarding these, you know, the, these animals that can't speak for themselves. 
So, so this is our Hand of Man Museum here on Vancouver Island, uh, British Columbia. It's open 365 days a year. It's donation only. Um, I, as I said earlier, I grew up in a trailer park. There's no way that if there was a museum like this that existed nearby me, that I could have afforded, my parents could have afforded for me to go into that museum every day. I would have lived in here. So I, I wanted it to be donation only. And, and that way, anybody, if there's a little me out there somewhere that can't afford it, they can come in here and, and drive me crazy with questions. I'm here. You know, this is, I, I think, is a big part of uh, my next 10 years as I curate all of this museum. But the, you're, this is one room. This is this is only one room. The, the, it's a 17,000 square foot facility. Um, and it, it is lit literally filled with with artifacts and, and art from around the world, from cultural objects, but also natural history. I mean, I'll, I'll walk you as I'm talking down this hallway and it's the whole purpose of it is to show is to show non-hunters what we really are as hunters. I mean, we're not, you know, we're not just the bloodthirsty louts that, that kill things because we love seeing things die, you know, and, and this is, you know, this is our biggest problem. As I said earlier, we should all be very worried about this hijacking of the messaging nowadays. Um, and, and so we have to do what we can to, uh, to change that messaging. And, and if we're not allowed to do it in the public press, you know, we can certainly do our mainstream media. We can do it individually in, in with, with educational facilities like this. Um, you know, it all depends on what priorities someone has. I, you know, we, I don't have a lot of money, never, never have. I mean, whatever money I've had, I, you know, and I, I can't say that we've been destitute. Uh, I've been fortunate over the years to, uh, to do well, but all the money that we've made, we put into this and this whole thing, this whole facility will be donated to a foundation, um, the contents, the building, the land. And then Louise and I will, uh, set up an endowment with the remainder of our whatever Eva's and Brand's inheritance was supposed to be and, and uh, donate all that as well. And, th and there, this will go on for for decades, hopefully, um, into the future so that new generations can see what hunting is all about. It's not, it's not about just killing animals. You know, it never, never was, never will be. And uh, it's a, it's a, a pastime, it's a way of life that that needs to be protected and honored into the future, and that's what that's what we're doing with this this facility. So that that's where you see me walking around. It. This is my happy place. This is, uh, I guess, my legacy. Except I get to see it while I'm wow. still. So, yeah, it's it's you know, I, and I'm not. I've just wow. done a little way, but there, there's, um, it's it's a big place, and anybody that wants to come. This border's open, or these borders open, they're, they're welcome. Like I say, it's open 365 days a year, and, and it's donation only. We, uh, and I mean donation, entry donation, everything in here, there, there's virtually, you know, there might be four or five pieces that have been donated by, by people. Hopefully in the, in the future that'll change, and, and by example, we'll uh, inspire others to do the same thing or, or donate to this museum, whatever. But it's really important. Anti-hunters come in here and leave with a new respect. You know, people that lean towards anti-hunting. If they're true ideologues, they'll never 
you'll never convert them. You'll never educate them. They don't want to be educated. But uh, but anybody that's in the middle, that 80% that don't hunt, they may lean towards you know the non-hunting side or anti-hunting side. But when they leave here, they have every single person, 999 out of 1,000 visitors. And we, we document it. We, we, I keep a very careful tab on that. Uh, love it. And they walk out with an appreciation of what hunters and, and uh, conservationists do for the wildlife of this world. And, and it's all in the presentation. It's in the messaging, which we haven't been able to control our own messaging for all these years. Uh, we've been hammered for 30 years and it's just going to get worse. So, so that's, that's where you are. Our Hand and Man Museum, Vancouver Island. But an hour north of Victoria, it's uh, it's a um, it's a great facility that has been getting rave reviews. You can anybody can Google it, Hand of Man Museum, and just look at the reviews. I can't wait to get there. It's I mean amazing just to see it at this angle. But congratulations on it! What a freaking achievement to be able to dedicate that and see it through because that is not easy. I, I mean, I've tried in a little room down here and it's hard to put one room together, let alone 17,000 square feet. Jim Shockey, I don't know if you like being called a national treasure, but you truly are. It's amazing what you've accomplished. And I know that humility has played a huge role in it. And I'm just glad that I can reach out to you and get this sort of insight because I think it's so important for everybody to hear it. And the way that you lay it down is so digestible and it's so easy to retain and it makes the future brighter for me. So I thank you, my friend, Jim Shockey for coming on here. Well, it, it's, it's my pleasure. It's an honor. And uh, you, you guys like you give me hope, you know, ladies like you give me hope, not that there's many ladies with beards, but <laughs> But, you know, there's, there's, you know, we should never, never give up this, this battle, you know, and I don't mean, I'm talking figurative battle. You guys are going to do great. You, you know, this next generation that's um, going to be taking over this, you know, the reins of, of uh, the messaging or, or you, you guys are going to do great. I, I have, when I speak to guys like you, I, I just, it, it gives me hope and it, and it also allows me a little bit of peace you know, where I can go, okay, you know, good. You guys carry on, carry on. And, and, uh, anything I can do along the way, if you ever need that, you know, me on your advisory council or anybody I'm, I'm, I'll be here for that. And and I'll still, you know, I'll continue to fight in, in my own way as long as I can and, uh, appreciate all the, the kind words, but, uh, <laughs> national treasure, that might be going a little bit, a little bit far on it. Oh no, you are. Trust me. You are down here. You're a national treasure in America. So, I mean, now you're, now you're, you know, double countryed up. So. Well, like I said, if I get this novel published, you know, that that's one where I would reach out and say, this novel needs to be purchased. We need to get the voice out there. The more this novel gets read, I believe me, the power that I could have with my messaging at that point would be, um, you know, a hundred times, a thousand times more than what I have right now. And it, of course, it's going to be positive common sense messaging, you know, all the good things that have built this, this country, yours and, and ours. Um, but, but we're going to need to, uh, it's, and it's not about money. It's, it's truly about, give me the voice, you know, and that, that's what I can do in the, in the future. You guys can do the, 
the frontline stuff. I'm going to be working my best to get a, a bigger voice into mainstream media over the next 10 years. Well, uh, if I can help at all, please just reach out to me at any time. I'd love to be a part of anything you're doing. I, uh, I mean, I don't even know what to say. When I, when I talk to you, it makes me, the first thing that comes to mind is I have a lot of work to do personally, as far as learning more about this heritage and this culture, this lifestyle, this privilege that we have, it's not an entitlement that we have to be a hunter and having guys like Jim Shockey that have been the face of it, that have taken chances, risks, been threatened, been sent death threats because of their voice. It just educates me that we have to step up to the plate. And that's what Safari Club International is doing. And Jim, I don't know. I don't know like if we could ever in this the right way. I'll, all I can say is thank you. Um, the hand to man museum, we got to get there when the borders open and please keep doing what you're doing for as long as you can do it, because it's been, a, it's been awesome to see what you've accomplished. And it gives guys like me hope and inspiration that it can be done and congratulations on a great career. And I know that that does has nothing to do with the trophies. You have done it all the way around and your family is witness to that. And they are proof that it can be done. You can build a gorgeous, beautiful family with love and sustainability and still be a voice and a messenger that is so important to thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of hunters alike around the world. They all know who Jim Shockey is and it's been an honor to have you on here again, Jim. Thank you. Well, like I say, the honor is all mine and uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for giving me hope. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Jim, let me end this by saying Safari Club International safariclub.org get to the national convention become a member become a life member study it understand what they're doing there's a lot of literature out there that you can read up i just had a podcast with my friend ben cassidy and he educated me on a lot of initiatives that are going on right now become a member let's all stand together check out the hand man museum online and when the borders open get to bc and visit it it looks amazing from the google from google earth and from the zoom app i think that uh I, I don't know if i could spend just one day in there i'm gonna need a week jim so i might i might need a hotel recommendation thank you jim shockey this has been another episode of the foul life podcast safari club international's foul thoughts thank you all very much for the downloads and subscriptions talk to you soon